and welcome to the Antiques Anonymous podcast. My name is Johnny O'Mara. I'm a full-time antique dealer, and I'm joined by my friend... Alexander Clement, specialist valuer and fine art auctioneer. And this is Antiques Anonymous, the podcast where two friends who work in the antiques industry talk about antiques, art, collectibles, and many other things besides. And this week, prompted by you, Johnny, we are going to be talking about danger in the world of antiques. Yes, we are. We are indeed. This was something that I, I didn't really have planned. Um, and I think, I think we, had, we had something else organised, didn't we? We, we may have um, done, but I can't remember. It's so long ago, I cannot remember what it was. By the way, before we launch into, this is, I, I, I'm, I, I'm digressing massively here, but before we launch into Danger in the Antiques World, may I Go just on. say, because I've not said it yet, and I didn't even mm. say that yesterday when we were doing a sound check, Happy New Year, mm-hmm. pal. <laughs> I just said to you, buddy. Hey, hey guess, guess what? Merry yeah. Christmas, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, and guess. not just, not just oh, Happy New buddy. Year, but also Happy Chinese New Year, because, as you know, Sunday just gone, 22nd of January, yeah. was um, the, the mark of um, the Chinese New Year. We're now in nice. the year of the rabbit, which is rather fun. Ooh, um, I like that. Yeah. So uh, something perhaps we can talk about at at some other juncture. What what does that mean? Does that um, have any impact on uh, on on the world mm. and what we do? Um, in some know. ways it does. In some ways it does. But but we we can leave that for another episode because we do want to talk about danger in the world of antiques. Mm. And um, we do. So sorry for for completely railroading. Not at all. <laughs> your, no, not at all. But as you're apologising, I. I, I do feel like we should apologise to our listeners, listeners actually, because um, it's been a little while, hasn't it? It has, yeah. And we, we have we had tried uh, to get something out sooner, but um, I, 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 you know, we've been we've been doing all sorts. I mean, I moved house at the end of last year, which was right. traumatic. Yeah, well, it always um, is. But um, bit of that... advice. Go on. Don't move house in November. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it, it, well, so <laughs> why why not? I mean, I can guess, I can imagine why you wouldn't want to move house in November, but why specifically? Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, how long have we got? It's just yeah, it's just it, it just it was just a bad time of year to me. But anyway, I'm here now. But I just want to let people know we've been we've had other things going on. Yeah. And um, do you remember? I, I tell you what, I was going to bring up. Do you remember that conversation that we we spoke about this actually that um, we were both really busy and I I had stuff going on. I was moving this that and the other and um, I kind of I don't I, I don't know whether it was a I think it must have been a phone conversation where I phoned you and. Um, or you know, oh, did you message me or something? I was like, you know what, 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 what have you got going on? This, you know, stopping us from doing the doing the podcast. I'm moving. You know, what, what are you up to? Yeah. And um, I don't know if you remember the conversation, but you basically replied to me and said that um, you, you you kind of like outlined what you what you do in the day. You know, after you finish work, and it was mm. um, it went something like this. <clears throat> so. Um, Johnny, yeah, I've been busy. Um, generally, over night time, I, 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 you know, I finish work, I drive home, and then um, I have a cup of tea, and then um, we we play with the cats. <laughs> you play with the cats. Yes. With a straight face. Well, oh, yeah. 
Why I want you to you? explain to everybody what what is all that about, and why is that a good enough right. reason for us to delay the podcast? What is playing with the cats? <laughs> okay, <laughs> if you if you have cats and you care about them, you want to make of sure course. that they they are active and that you're keeping them n- nicely entertained and occupied. And, you, uh-huh. you know, it's it's not a good idea to not play with your cats, I don't think. I think you've got to play with them to, to keep them, you know, to, honestly. No, no, you, you laugh, but really. Oh, my Lord. You obviously, oh you, you're, Lord. A, you're clearly a dog man. You, you, um, you don't have I'm cats. Not a, I'm not a... I am not a cat man, so mm. <laughs> I am not a cat lover. Well, well that's fair that's... enough. But um, in any case, if if you care about your cats, you do need to keep them active and um, you know doing the things that, that they would that's... they would naturally do, and that that involves playing. And you know that's that's a good sort of uh, twenty minutes, half an hour that you have to invest in a bit right. of time. I just got, I got this image of um, you and your lovely, your, your beautiful wife sat on the sofa. Mm. Um, Playing with the cats. Well, <laughs> it's just really it's random. Not, it, <laughs> it's oh not God. quite, not quite like that. It's a bit more active. Than oh that, my I have God. To say. However, you know, really and then me. yeah, well, I'm sure it did. But then, uh, you know, once you've played with the cats, and then you you sit down and you you have some dinner and you watch a bit of television, and by the time you've done all of that and done the washing up, as far as I'm concerned, it's I'm half, ready for bed. It's half past seven, and you're ready for bed. <laughs> anyway anyway that tickled me i just thought a little bit of a window into the life of alexander was really interesting i thought that was bloody hilarious what a reason to not not be able to do the podcast because you're playing with the cats yeah well it's just the that that, that's my evening and you know my, my evenings are um I won't say set in stone, but they're they're, they're mm. a sort of quiet contemplative time as much as I can, as much as I can manage, um, mm. just to mm. kind of wind well, down with that. from the from the rigors of the day. Yeah, well, I can't argue with that. Fair enough. Anyway, but we're here now. Mm. We are. Yeah, finally. We have. We're here finally. So, um, basically. We had, as I said, we had something organised, and um, at the last, at the end of the last podcast, I decided just to drop in there something ad lib that I'd been thinking about a little bit, hmm. and um, it was it, it, and it's danger in the antiques trade, huh? Yeah. Now we we spoke about this a little bit, but by and large, this is uh, there's something I've we, we we're unprepared for basically because you don't really know exactly what. I'm talking about, and I, and I, I kind of thought a little bit about it, but yeah. you know, it's well. So I've got when, a, when I, I had a basic, to... yeah, I had a basic idea. I had, a, I had, you know, I, st- I started to mull over this whole concept of danger in the antiques world, and I started to mm. think about what is dangerous in the antiques world and what might you consider to be dangerous. So I, I'm, I'm interested to to hear what it, what it is that triggered that thought. Yeah. Well, I think, I think, you know. It's 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 good for people to have a little insight into into our sort of day to day jobs, right? Yeah. And I think a lot of people who might listen to this podcast and might think of the, the career of an antiques dealer as I'm not saying glamorous, but you know, traveling around the country in a Volvo estate or a Morris Minor, stopping off at a little country cottage and picking up a vase from Mrs. Shufflebottom, and then and then going off and selling it for X amount of money or whatever. That's the job. But it isn't really. And, um, you know, and I just wanted to delve a little bit into into 
what, exactly what the job entails. And and what what really made me think about the danger part of it was that um, about a week before the end of the last podcast, when I brought this up, I was doing a sale. There was uh, they put the sale out or or a sale of bin or something like that, and the sale room was full of um, pharmacy jars. Um, when I say pharmacy jars, I mean like Victorian glass pharmacy receptacles. Yeah. And um, they, they they had all the contents in. So it, it looked like uh, they they cleared um, a, a Victorian pharmacy that had largely gone, largely gone untouched. And all the jars, and there must have been about 100 of them, 150 were set out on tables in the in the auction room. And um, the, 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 and all the stuff had it, and all the contents were still in the jars, and some mm. of them were labelled. And I was just I was just picking up what I bought from the previous sale, and I, I just had a cursory look at it. But there was like there was like pills and stuff, and there was um, there was some jars that were labelled. and They had like acid in them and all this kind of thing, and the contents were still in there. You know, mm. and I was just thinking about it. I think how many times. Over the years, I've seen that kind of thing, you know, just 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 that one example of danger in my job of, of handling medicines and stuff that have come from a Victorian pharmacy or even a, a house or a chemist or something like that. How many times I've seen stuff still in the jars, you know, and thought to myself, what is that? You know, I, I've seen I remember you. A little while back, uh, I'm going back a few years. I there was like I think there was uh, I think it was heroin or liquid heroin I saw in 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 one jar. And I just thought to myself, flipping it, you know what's going on here? So um, <laughs> I don't know. Have you have you? There's true story. True story. This yeah. really thick brown liquid, mm. uh, and on and on the outside of the jar, you know, some something 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 heroin. You know, I'm like, wow, mm. that is astonishing. You know, so yeah. anyway, um, what, what, what have you have you seen that? I mean, you must have seen that in our days at Bonhams and all that, surely. Well, I've seen jars with contents in, but not consigned for auction because, broadly mm. speaking, and this is a very good reason for doing so, you you tend to avoid booking in things like that for exactly that reason because um, yeah. you either have to ensure that the contents of the bottles are, are safely disposed of. Um, or you yeah. advise the vendor to to do that before consigning to auction. The vast majority of pharmacy jars that that I've consigned to auction, and they they can do very well, particularly the the nice yeah. Victorian ones with the sort of gilt labels on. Um, and certainly, they used to make big money. I remember going back to the late nineties, early two thousands. I think we had a collection of um, dark brown glass pharmacy jars, the big ones. Yeah. I guess they must be a good five liter size jar um like a cowboy yeah and they like all had cowboy. yeah exactly they all had gilt labels on uh for all of these exotic materials uh mm. but all, all empty and they did incredibly well and yeah. at the time i think they were sort of making close to a thousand pounds each you know wow. um so it was um it was a different market but of course they were they were all empty and there was no issue there but yeah. any time we look at, and it's it doesn't happen often, but occasionally we do consign in or are asked to value 
um, the mm. contents of a, uh, a sort of doctor's bag, that kind of thing, like a sort of GP's kit bag. And these come mm. in from time to time. And we, we recently, um, I say recently, but a couple of years ago, we had a, a large collection from a an ex-GP uh, who had collected lots of things associated with the nursing profession. And it was quite a variety of stuff. So there were nursing belts and there were um, all sorts of, there was a huge amount of medical implements um, dating back to the early 19th century. So Mm. some of them were were Mm. quite unusual and quite rare. And yeah, yeah, a few little bottles and vials of things that that we we had to sort of look at very carefully and make sure that that they were they were safe, or if not, yeah. then we we had to safely dispose of them. So that's mm. really what you would normally expect to do, and you would normally expect an auction house to to sort of follow through on that kind of duty of care mm. to make sure that they're selling mm. something that that is actually safe. So mm. it. I, I suspect that the circumstances that you found are comparatively uncommon, but mm. when they when they do occur, it does raise the question, you know, what is the duty of care and what is what are you supposed to do with that stuff? How do you approach it? How do you deal with it? There are, yeah. you know, there are ways and means, but for those yeah. out there listening, how do you deal with that sort of thing? Yeah, but I, I mean, I'm not sure exactly what happened to that consignment there, you know. Um, mm. But what what it made me think of was that the amount of times I've seen that over the years of like mm. I've been rummaging through a box, and I'm, I'm just sort of to paint to paint the picture really um, for for the listeners is that when when we go to an auction and and a house has been cleared, you know that house generally could have stuff going back what two three hundred four hundred years yeah and if it's if it's uh, a, a general auction house a lot of the stuff you just imagine a drawer from, from a bedroom drawer or a kitchen drawer from that house is just emptied into a box very mm. loosely sifted to make sure there's nothing like i don't know food or anything like that in it it's very loosely sifted and it's just emptied into a box and then it goes into auction it's just sold as a box of stuff but when you're when you're rooting through that box, you could there's pills, medicines, all that kind of stuff. And mm. I don't know what this kind of stuff is. And I'm, I'm, it's just made me think of they crikey, you know, you know, where's where's this stuff ending up, you know? And um, I was this is true story. Um, this is only about uh, two weeks ago. I was viewing another sale, and they had one of those boxes of of stuff. Uh, but it was a small box, like a little tin, um, and it was something that was in the counter for people to view, you know. So I went to the counter, asked for the tin, and they passed the tin over, and it was just sold as a box full of collectibles, you know. <clears throat> and as I'm, but as I'm rooting through the box, there's some knives in there, and then, you know, I'm rooting through there with my bare fingers, and in the bottom of the box, there's some Edwardian or late Victorian um, syringes, hypodermic needles, just needles just mm-hmm. in the bottom of the box. Yeah. You know, I, I, I thought to myself, bloody hell, you know, well, you know, you get that in the end of your finger. I don't, I don't bloody know. You know, just started thinking about it, like, crikey, you know, it's hazardous. It, it's hazardous, it, right? It is, yeah. Absolutely. Am I being paranoid? Maybe I am. I don't know. It's never bothered me before, but I just started thinking mm. about it, like, wow, you know. 
Yeah, you well, this is something. Finger, would you? No, <laughs> you wouldn't I know, could, would you? No, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it, it, well, it does. It does raise the question, um, and I'm sure that more and more auction houses are are, are being looked at with a critical eye and in terms yeah. of what they do and how they approach these sorts of things and i guess the mm. higher up the the um the industry you go the less you're likely to discover that sort of thing because the more committed they are to ensuring that sort of health and safety policies are, are adhered to but with a, yeah. a sort of general house clearance auction i guess with the rapid turnover and the volume that they're dealing with there isn't mm. really the time to go through all of that stuff so the the sort of almost like caveat emptor it's it's buyer beware but also um viewer beware that you you may stick your hand in a box and um <laughs> come out yeah. with a few <laughs> fingers short you know if there's something in there that's well, um that's a totally. that's a bit aggressive completely i mean, I mean like this is, a, I mean, on a much smaller scale, but, you know, the amount of times I've been rooting through a box and there's been like a picture in there or a photograph frame and the frame's been broken, you didn't know about it, mm. and you're rooting around in the box and there's blooming great shards of glass in there, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is this is something that w- that, that keeps me up at night and we worry about yeah. all the time as, as yeah. auctioneers because we want to make sure that there isn't anything like that in the sale room that is going to cause an injury. Um, mm-hmm. And we do we, we we do a health and safety check before every auction. So before the public yeah. are allowed in to view the sale, there is a, a long and complicated form that has to be gone through to make sure mm. that everything is safe. Um, and it's, it's all been looked at and inspected and signed off. And that we're happy that, that everything is as safe as it possibly can be. I mean, there is a degree, a, a degree of common sense that okay. one can, I think, realistically assume to be in place. Yeah. But by and large, we, we still have to do the public's thinking for them before they're allowed mm. into the room to make sure that, yeah, that that gangway is, is clear and that there isn't anything sticking out there. There aren't, aren't any trip hazards. And that sort of thing, mm. but here's the thing: the antiques industry. We deal with objects that are, by definition, old. The the sort of legal, I guess, definition of an antique is something that is at least a hundred years old, and that's sort mm. of broadly understood by by most institutions and and industries. Mm. And we're talking about things that were were manufactured in circumstances and using materials that today simply wouldn't be allowed. Mm, And mm. we're talking about objects that were not necessarily made with a great deal of thought to how safe they were in use as well as in in their manufacture. And so these things are sort of pre-health and safety legislation. And... Mm. I mentioned when we were chatting yesterday about long case yeah. clocks because there, there's a there's something that's almost designed to cause <laughs> cause an injury, and they've been a what they've been one or two fairly. I mean, you 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 think about it, and I and I hate to laugh, and it really it it, it isn't it isn't funny, but then in some mm. ways it is. 
but a long case clock is, is almost designed to, to fall over. Well, they're actually not designed to move around. And yeah. there have been a couple of instances. One instance where a, a gentleman was viewing a long case clock. We, we used to have big, big clock sales at um I can Phillip, remember them at Phillips and Chester if you remember the lot they you you'd have sort of 30 or 40 long cases lined up around the walls yeah, and there was it. one incident where there was a gentleman who was viewing who was he, he, confined to a, a wheelchair but it was an electric wheelchair so he you know he had control of his uh, his movements on his own. He didn't need to be pushed around and he, he wasn't sort of manually moving himself oh, around. I, so was, I think I remember this. It was an electric wheelchair. I think, I, think I remember it. Go on, keep going. Keep he, going. I, he either lost control of his wheelchair momentarily or, or just misjudged mm. movement and he collided mm-hmm. with a long case clock and it fell over Yeah. and it n- yeah. narrowly missed sort of falling on him. Yeah. And all of the long case clocks used to be chocked. I mean, we'd still do this at um, at halls, but really, for a long case clock to be stable, it has to be completely set up. So, for those who don't know, a long case clock you you might refer to it as a grandfather clock, but in the industry we we refer to them as long cases. A long case clock mm-hmm. has a trunk and a hood and a dial and a movement. And the the dial and movement are sort of front heavy, if you like. They're almost always wanting to kind of tip forward. And the reason they don't is because they're held in place by the weights. So you attach the weights to the pulleys and the weights themselves then run, they drive the the clock train, um, the time and the chime. And those weights are essentially holding everything in place. And as soon as you take the weights mm. off, it then becomes unstable and it, and yeah. the, the whole movement could pitch forward and, mm. and often does if you're not really handling it in the right way. And you may also remember one of our former colleagues who was um, doing a condition report on a long case clock in the sale room didn't realise when do. he pulled the hood off the clock that it, the... Now, we n- can't n- say his name, but... but... He did have a really bald head. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why that's relevant. But anyway. (laughs) Just narrows it down a little bit for you. I suppose so. Keep going. Yeah. So now the hood of a long case clock, when you remove it, you, you sort of pull it directly towards you, perpendicular to the ground. And the hoods are normally held in place by what are called the cheeks, which um, sit underneath the seat board of the movement. And they have rails on them, which engage with mm-hmm. similar rails on the inside of the hood. So that the hood, almost mm-hmm. like a, the drawer in a chest of drawers, it, it sort of pulls directly forwards. What he didn't realize in the case of this clock is that it didn't have rails on the cheeks. So there was nothing holding the hood in position. It was literally just resting on the top. So as he pulled mm-hmm. it forward, he's expecting it to, to sort of pull out like a drawer. It didn't. Yeah. It started pitching forward. And again, hoods mm-hmm. on long cases, because they have big finials and all the rest of it on top, they're, mm-hmm. they're kind of top heavy and it started to fall forward. He put his hand out in front of him to, to stop it from um, falling any further or landing on his head. And his hand went straight through the glass door 
on the front of the long case clock and, and lacerated his hand quite badly, mm-hmm. meaning that it was a trip to A&E and he had to have stitches and, you know, he was off work for a little bit. And the mm. point that I'm making here yeah, by doing this is, is sort of illustrating that these are objects that we're handling and dealing with on a daily basis that were made at a time when health and safety legislation practically didn't exist. Or if it did, mm. it was it was in its infancy. And mm. these are things that we're sort of dealing with on a daily basis. And so from that point of view, yeah, there is a degree of danger, but we we mitigate it really by, through experience and through handling objects exactly. on a regular basis and, and knowing them and understanding them. And it's our job as auctioneers to try and communicate that as, as much as we can to the viewing public. And, you know, we do mm. make a point of saying, of putting signs on things if they're unstable. I mean, there's there's a thing. Um, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but if you've got something like a display cabinet on on stand or on chest, so if you imagine you've got something yeah. that looks like a chest of drawers, but on top of it, you've got a glazed yeah. display cabinet um, or a secretaire bookcase, for example, which is like a sort of flat, not like a bureau bookcase. It's a flat fronted secretaire. And on top of it, there's a glazed fronted bookcase unit. And mm. again, they're most stable when they're attached to the base and they're full of books. If they open empty, the door when it's empty, <laughs> exactly. Open the door when it's empty. Yeah. The door is really heavy because it's full of glass, yeah. Yeah. and the whole thing can pitch forward yeah. if you, you know, if you're not careful. Uh, yeah. And that's that's happened to me at, at least once. I I'm just thinking about the auction environment, like you know, like I haven't seen it so much these days. But when when I first started in 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 antiques. Um, it would it wouldn't be unusual to go to a sale and have pictures hanging up eight or nine on one picture rod, you know, mm-hmm. on a wall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You don't see it a lot these days. I wonder whether it's just because stuff's not displayed like that anymore or the stuff's not there. I don't know. But, you know, um, and I can remember once I was viewing uh, this is, again, a true story. I was viewing a sale. In, uh, I'm not going to say where it was. But I was at the top of a staircase, and there was uh, there was some pictures that were on a stair rod, um, just hanging above me. And I was just kneeling down at the bottom of the stair rod and felt this almighty smack on the back of my head. And, and, and this this canvas of falls laughing. It's not that funny. So this this picture, this picture had fallen off the the, the, the picture rod and smacked me on the back of the head. You know, and and, and luckily I had no glass on it, but it had a bloody great mahogany board you know it's like an oil on board or something and it hit yeah. me right on the back of the head and I just stood up immediately and looked behind me I was like what you know I thought somebody had hit me around the head with something and I stood up and there was this picture on the floor and then the porter came running over to me saying John John are you okay and I was like I didn't even know what happened you know <laughs> but uh crazy absolutely absolutely crazy but it's a hazardous hazardous place and I tell you what I was just thinking about then actually again mm. um this is going back uh, I'd probably say about f- six or seven years ago, certainly way pre-pandemic. I was talking mm. to a friend of mine who was he was a porter, stroke sort of furniture chap. Um, he was working in an auction house, small auction house, 
and um, he also did a bit of um, taxidermy. And I, I think in his spare time, you know, we'd done a bit of shooting or something. He was trying his hand at it. And he he was telling me that he'd, he'd bought a piece of taxidermy in the sale for himself and he was going to take it home and fix it up. So anyway, he got this ta- this piece of taxidermy. I can't remember what it was. Say, let's call it a blooming rabbit or something. So anyway, he got this rabbit in a in a glass case. So oh, we should probably say, and this sounds ridiculous, but um, taxidermy is you know a stuffed animal basically in a, in, a, in a case. Mm. Um, so um, yeah. So anyway, taking this stuffed animal home. And he started taking it apart. So he said he had to like repaint the background or redo a bit of the, the stuffing in it, you know. Mm. And um, anyway, so he'd done his, his work. He'd taken it apart, you know, done that bit, put it back together. And then he said a couple of hours later, his his mouth started swelling up. What? And um, yeah, yeah. And his fingers, his fingers were itching and his fingers were swelling and he started to feel sick. And mm. anyway... Um, he, he didn't know what it was. And then he'd done, I don't know, could call the doctor or something. And it was a couple of days later, he mentioned it to somebody. And you know what it was? Go on. What, yeah, what, what it was, was that um, in the taxidermy, they'd used, I think it was cyanide, I think him saying. Cyanide was used in the process. Oh, my God. And he'd been exposed to cyanide. Yeah. 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 True story. Yeah, and and he was okay, but I mean, uh, I mean, obviously, just just the one exposure, it was obviously microscopic amount. But you do think to yourself, mm. blimey, that you know, like long term, crikey, you know. Yeah, well, <laughs> this is it, isn't it? Yeah, how I mean, many, you've how got... many times have you handled? How many times have you handled taxidermy? Uh, Hundreds, a, a, a lot, yeah, but not. Yeah. I've not sort of handled it in such a way that I've been kind of taking it apart. And as you say, most of it is in display cases. You do get. Uh, taxidermy that's out of out of a case but you generally you try and avoid touching it as much as possible because the more handling the more chance there is of um of uh, yeah. of damaging it and you don't want to do that um no. because they can be hey, quite uh, fragile uh, yeah but oh, this is the thing this is what this kind comes back to what i was saying earlier about the the days before health and safety when you think about lead in paint and the wide use of asbestos, um, yeah, yeah, and that yeah, sort of thing, yeah. and it's uh, and and mercury as well. You obviously get mercury in barometers, and yeah. that's oh my goodness! You you've really got to handle mercury barometers carefully. Quite apart from the fact that they won't work properly if you if you lie them flat and you get air bubbles forming in in the reservoir. Uh, you, yeah. you have to have them drained and refilled, but they they do have a tendency to leak. I'm just just thinking then about the asbestos thing. Somebody was telling me about asbestos in um, miners' lamps. You know, I can't see miners' lamps in the yeah. fittings. Yeah, you know, and they're in. Um, what else are they in? There's, there's, there's asbestos in um, the lining of um, like uh, samovars or something, something like that. It was not a yeah. samovar, or like some sort of water heaters or something. It was aligned with asbestos, you know. Yeah, and and get I, this, I the, didn't know that. Also, yeah. Also, a toy iron. So, like for uh, not not so much a doll's house, but like a a child's yeah. toy iron yeah. for like a clothes iron. Um, yeah, boxed has a stand inside it which is made of asbestos. Mm. Yeah. Right. So 
it was a it was a material that was considered perfectly safe to use and was mm. revolutionary in in what it did mm. to to be clear though asbestos is absolutely fine as long as it's not perforated in any way so yeah, as, as long up, as yeah. exactly yeah as long as the, the fibers aren't sort of breaking free anywhere and you may remember yeah. at um at chester at phillips slash bonhams where we both worked the um, we had that goods oh. lift, which was supposedly the oldest goods lift in oh, yeah. Cheshire, if not the UK. And yeah. um, but it had a motor room at the top of the building, and every yeah. so often I would have to go up there and have a look at the motor room to make sure that everything was fine in there. And it was completely lined. And one of my duties as director was to to check the asbestos, the state of the asbestos in the motor room because it was yeah. completely lined with corrugated asbestos. And I just yeah, had to make sure yeah. that it hadn't been knocked or banged or had any holes in it or whatever, uh, yeah, and there weren't yeah. any fibres coming off. Uh, so that was one of the, the things that I had to do. And we had to make sure that anybody who worked on the lift, you know, that had to gain access to the motor room, yeah. uh, they had to be made aware it, it is lined with asbestos, you know. Yeah. So um, I remember somebody, some, somebody told me about the old building there, that there was asbestos in the sliding doors, the old cinema doors as well. That was a thing as well at the time. Because um, mm-hmm. I remember I remember working in that end of the building and the big sliding door. You probably don't yeah. remember it. That's asbestos I do, yeah, as well. I do remember Phillips. Yeah. yeah. Um, hey, I'll t- I tell you something related to that. I only learned this quite recently, actually. That in, it, it sounds ridiculous, but you know you see... Um, World War One or Two gas masks. Somebody told me quite recently that they weren't. An auctioneer told me that they weren't selling them anymore, um, putting through auction because one of the masks had asbestos in it. Mm-hmm. One of these, one of these gas masks. Yeah. Do you know anything about that? I have a vague recollection that um, that I'm somebody sure has told asbestos. me that there is a particular model of of mask. That has asbestos in it, and I'd I'd need to um, check with my colleague who runs the military department um, because yeah. I think you may be right. Yeah, I think there is one that, yeah. that does have asbestos in it. But it's um, yeah, there we are, the the hazardous world of uh, of antiques. Just to um, just to sort of round up, if you remember uh, when we were starting the podcast many months ago, and uh, we were sort yeah. of thinking about what what we could talk about and what material we might sort of bring to bear. One of the things I found on YouTube, and I'm going to send you a, a link to this. I, I'm, I may have already sent it to you, but I'll send it to you again. But Go there on. was a, a TV presenter who, whose job it was to go around and confront rogue traders This was back in the 1970s. And there's one really interesting, you've got to see it to believe it. This this chap confronted an antique dealer in his premises somewhere in in the outskirts of London because he'd apparently been selling fake ivories. So he'd he'd sort of been making or or having made uh, ivory, uh, I think Japanese okimono of some sort, and aging them artificially, and then selling them at auction. 
and yeah. um, they somebody had um, shopped him, and uh, so this this TV roving reporter decided to confront him in his shop and this dealer he starts off sort of you know relatively aggressive but reasonably controlled starts to phone the police while while the interviewer is there trying to kind of the interviewer is trying to kind of get some answers out of him you know are you are you selling fakes da di da di da and then um so the dealer picks up the phone and starts phoning the police to say his his shop's being invaded by people and you know he he wants them out and everything. Yeah. So then they go out. Um, I can't remember whether they go out. Where is this going? Where is this going? Where this is going is the dealer. <laughs> the dealer picks up some sort of stick or or rod or something like this and starts attacking, literally attacking the interviewer. I got it. Whacking him. Did this actually yeah. happen? Yes, yes. I'll, I'll send you the the, the link I've to the video because it is hilarious. Really? Yeah. It wow. is it's so funny oh that well God. it wasn't funny for the interviewer because he was he had broken ribs and all the rest of it, but this this guy just oh he God. just completely loses it. It's like he pivots and just hey, well, totally goes mad and starts whacking this this interviewer. And oh um Lord. I'll hey, yeah, I'll send hey, you a, send, a link to it. The clip. Hey, you 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 must send me the clip, but you've just reminded mm. me of something. Talking of talking of weapons or, or weaponry, yeah. this you might remember this. I've recounted this story recently, and this is related actually to danger in the antiques trade. But yeah, do you remember when we worked for for, for Bonhams? When when they went out and did the clearance, they used to come back in the van. Do you remember that? They used to come back in the van, and then everything out the house that they didn't want used to go in the skip out the back. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yes. Right, so 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 he was kind of maybe I shouldn't maybe I shouldn't admit to this, but this is actually, this is actually what happened. Right, they used to they used to, they used to come and empty the van, and then the whole of the office would come outside and root through the skip and, and then take stuff home. And anyway, right, this is this is true. Do you remember this? Um, w- one time this happened, and um. They'd been out on the job. They came back and they chucked all the stuff in the skip and everybody came out to have a route through it, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, we were rooting through the skip and there was some um, night cabinets, like some pot cupboards. And um, I, I know I pulled this night, this pot cupboard out and uh, it was full. So I thought, well, really, what's in there? So I anyway, opened it up. Inside was a gun. Oh, my God. I, yeah, you, you, you obviously either you weren't there, you don't remember it. But anyway, no. me being me, me being me, so there was there was a skip, big big yellow skip, full size skip, and there was about seven or eight of us around this skip. So I, oh, I, I, so I spot this gun. I oh, did. No, you so didn't. I, I, I pulled it out oh, and I pulled the trigger, oh, and it went off. Bang, idiot! Like that. Oh my and god! Honestly, I, honestly, it went off, and everybody screaming <laughs> like, "What the hell is going on?" And and then. Um, Somebody who won't be named came over, just took took it off, and I'll take that and put it in his pocket, and then never see it again. Oh yeah. my word! So, yeah, true story. Yeah, that's just Honestly, I, I can't, I don't remember that happening. That's astonishing. Yeah, that's yeah, absolutely. Was, astonishing. And I can't believe I did it. And I can remember, mm. I can remember my ears ringing. I can tell you that for nothing. But yeah, it might, it might have been like. I mean, it could have been like a starter pistol. I mean, I don't really know, mm. but it was a prop. It was a proper gun, metal, very heavy, but it was blooming loaded. Mm. <laughs> just put it on, just put the trigger. 
my yeah. word. What a thing to oh, do. Yeah. I know, crazy. But yeah, it happened nonetheless. But um, yeah, so well, I remember, there's a bit there of was, danger for you. Yeah, there was one specialist who who was quite a character. And again, we, we have to, we can't name the poor chap because um, it's not really fair to him. But he was. He yes, was it, yes, it was him. It was a barrel of laughs. He was he was a really he was such a funny guy. But he had a um a percussion pistol that for for no apparent reason he just ha- happened to have it lying around on his desk. And every so often because he he would get percussion caps and there was no ammunition in this thing. But but percussion pistols for for those who who don't know you mm. you prime them with a with a little percussion cap and that's what actually sets off the the powder if there is powder in the in the cylinder but yeah. in this case there wasn't and occasionally he'd just put a percussion cap on and and just set it off you know pull the trigger and and you'd get this <laughs> loud <did>. bang <laughs> you know just when he was bored which is an extraordinary <laughs> thing to you know i mean it wouldn't it just That's wouldn't crazy. happen now but but there we are That's so crazy. here's 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 another story so we'll 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 wrap it up with this one because this is, this is actually it. It, similar to, to your story with the with the gun in the skip. Yeah, go for um, it. Former colleague of both of ours and another valuer who I can't remember who he was with, but they were doing a probate valuation, going through the contents of a, of a complete house and looking at everything. Went up into the attic to have a look there, and they found in the attic a... Um, an ammunition tin, you know, one of those sort of um, those World War Two yeah. ammunition containers, and yeah. it it was it wasn't immediately obvious how to open it, but it was it was immediately obvious there was something in it. So they they sort of yeah. picked it up and they were kind of roll, looking at it f- from all angles. How do you open this thing? And this thing, whatever's inside it, is rolling around inside this tin. And yeah. what, what is it? It's quite heavy. What's in here? So eventually they they managed to get this thing open. And what was rolling around inside was a hand grenade. <laughs> and oh and my so God. a live hand grenade. I'm not surprised. I'm not so surprised. They called the bomb squad um because that's that was the procedure. And um they came out and um knocked on the eventually came knocked on the door and and said where where is this uh, explosive device and they they showed them up to the attic there it is up there they said okay you can you can you can leave now we'll we'll deal with it so they walked out of this house and they're sort of looking up and down this road like a sort of terraced street i'm thinking it's a bit quiet isn't it what's, what's, where's everybody gone and they walked down to the end <laughs> of the road and they found that the police had cordoned the entire road off Good Lord. Oh my so God. this this whole road had been completely yeah. evacuated and cordoned off because they'd found the hand grenade <laughs> in an ammunition box in somebody's. And was it was it was it live? Yeah, as far as I know, it was it was live. It had to be taken away and oh, um, yeah. you know, controlled detonation. But it was a proper World War Two pineapple grenade. So that's um, amazing. Yeah, isn't it? You know what? I, I'm not I'm not surprised. You know, I just. The main reason that I, I, I wanted to talk about the danger in the trade was because I just wanted people to kind of understand and to hear these stories. These are things that actually happen. This is the industry we, we work in. You know, we're, we're, we're looking at chemicals and 
ammunition and sendery and uh, long case clocks falling on people and all this kind of stuff. It's cr- <laughs> it's crazy. Anybody, it's crazy, right? It, no, it's, people won't I, believe us, but it's crazy. It, it is. It's an extraordinary way of making a living, and I and it's I would amazing. like I would I'd like to hope that people go away from this program not imagining that there is the most extraordinary levels of of cavalier attitude and um you know negligence in the antiques no. industry because by and large we do yeah. as i as i said earlier we 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 mitigate as much as we can at the danger that that is inherent in objects that were made at a time before health and safety legislation but mm-hmm. there it is, you know, we, we do deal occasionally with objects that are inherently dangerous. And um, so, so that's just part of the want, job, isn't it? That's it. So I guess we should just end and say, if you want to get blown up, just go and do your <laughs> local antique sale. Yeah, <laughs> no problem. <laughs> oh, oh, but uh, that was interesting. Yeah. Dark. Dark. Very, very In interesting. Parts. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Awesome. Right then, bud. So, um, are you going to go and stroke your cat or play with the cats or whatever you're going to do? <laughs> no, cat playtime has been and gone. So, I shall be. Um... <laughs> meow, I shall be... <laughs> meow. Uh, yeah, I shall be settle- settling in, settling in for the night, and um, thinking about what dangers might lay lie ahead tomorrow. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> awesome. All right. So. All right. That's it. Has... I guess we're done. We are indeed. This has been Antiques Anonymous, and I have been Alexander Clement. I'm Johnny Amara. Thanks for listening, folks. That was that was really fun. Yeah, thank you so much for listening, and do tune in again to the next exciting episode of Antiques Anonymous, where who knows what we're going to be talking about. Right, so we are we're live, we're recording. Cool. Go for it. Oh, it's me, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> okay, you ready? Yep. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>